Hello. As lambing gets underway and the weather is starting to warm up, it's important to remember the risk that worms pose to grazing sheep, especially young stock. In this latest podcast, vets Steph Patel and Alice Coppin-Harris talk about identifying the worm risk and offer tips on escaping the pesky parasites this season. Here's what's coming. The nematodirus worm. This is one of the few worms where um, the damage can be done really quickly, sooner than you see lots of those eggs occurring when you're doing a faecal egg count. You know, you want to make sure you're not constantly turning out lambs into the same field each year, because if you have a problem one year, that following year, you know, those eggs last for a long, long time on the pasture. So the advice is really, you know, um, certainly around lambing time, uh, not necessarily all adults need to be wormed. If they're in fit, good body condition score, then certainly single bearing sheep should definitely be left untreated. So let's get into this then. The risk that worms pose to grazing sheep, especially young stock, with vet Steph Patel and Alice Coppin-Harris. Hi ladies. Hiya. Hiya. Okay, Alice, so what are the general things that we're going to be talking about in this conversation? Um, so we're going to be talking about sort of what the risk is to your sheep um, regarding worms, a bit about their life cycles um, and what makes them, you know, so problematic really. And then also how to manage it, how to make, how to know if you've got worms on your farm, how to know if your sheep are affected um, and how you should be sort of treating those as well to make sure they're healthy going forwards. Excellent. So that's the conversation we're going to get into. Keep listening. You're going to learn loads about uh, parasite control in the grazing lamb. So when does the risk period really for worms begin? When does it start? So with uh, grazing lambs, we're looking at early spring um, in specifically the nematodirus worm, um, which some people might be familiar with as hearing about the spring hatch. So this sort of mass spring hatch occurs when there's been a cold period followed by a warm spell. So we have like the warm spell sort of defined as sort of consistent temperatures above 10 degrees. So this is one of the few worms where um, the damage can be done really quickly sooner than you see lots of those eggs occurring when you're doing a faecal egg count. Um, and it can affect the whole group quickly. And some and what you can see is sort of dirty back ends and, and death in those lambs. Yeah, so like I said as well, they, you know, it's generally these are young grazing lambs. So in their first grazing season, so when they're about sort of six to 12 weeks old, um, and eating sort of sufficient amounts of grass and things like that, they'll be picking up these um, these uh, larvae then from from the soil from the grass rather. Um, because the difference with nematodirus compared to your other sort of gut worms, um, the infective larvae develop within the egg itself. So, um, and then once they obviously this when you get this mass hatch, they're eating a large amount of larvae really really quickly, um, sort of all at once. So then the the effects sort of happen really quickly, like Steph said, and you see sort of see death almost and these intense scours the damage is already done kind of thing by the time you're seeing the the eggs and things like that in the dung so it's kind of acting fast as soon as you see those signs yeah it must be a really traumatic experience suddenly you've really got to act on this really quickly as you say so what should we be looking out for then generally you mentioned a couple of things there but what else should we be looking out for um so for nematodirus like steph said mucky back ends young lambs dying looking really weak um you know, lying down a lot, things like that. Um, but generally for worms, you know, you'll be looking out for mucky back ends again, loose feces um, and sort of poor body condition scoring as well. So, you know, if they've lost quite a lot of condition recently um, or aren't looking quite so good, then worms is often, you know, it's quite often a culprit, really. It's it's quite common. So um, it's always one of those things. And 
if you see these uh, or if you know that there's a, a high risk, um, what would be the treatment in, in this particular case? So um, we're sort of looking at narrow spectrum wormers. So as Alice said, you know, they can develop very quickly. And actually what's very different with the um, nematodirus is that actually it its life cycle occurs on a sort of a yearly pattern. Sometimes you can get a little a small flush in the autumn time, but generally it it affects young lambs from one spring to the next. So actually in terms of resistance developing in these worms, it's much slower and they don't have that level of resistance that all these sort of other uh, roundworms have. So um, you can use what we would say is a narrow spectrum wormer. And so by saying that a narrow spectrum wormer, I'm sure some people here listening will know what that is, but for others, what what is that? So that basically relates to the spectrum of activity that sort of anthematic wormer has. So um, in the past, white drenches have been used um, repeatedly, uh, mainly because they're quite cheap and people have just generally gone, I guess, for the sort of maybe cheaper wormer. Um, but there's been a huge amount of resistance that's been built up to them to the point that they're basically ineffective against most of the roundworms, they sort of have a 99% resistance profile. So they're basically near enough ineffective for the majority of, of your worms, except for unimatodirus. So we can still use that drench as a specific target treatment for it. And therefore, by we're not enhancing resistance in the other products. Yeah, so with nematodirus, the worm cycle is sort of different. Um, and instead of sort of passing, cycling repeatedly throughout the year, um, it's, it's generally sort of passing from one lamb crop to the following year. So this is really going to affect the speed of antimantic resistance if you're constantly using that product. But also, you know, you want to make sure you're not constantly turning out lambs into the same field each year. Because if you have a problem one year, that following year, you know, those eggs last for a long, long time on the pasture. So then you're going to get a problem in the lambs the following year as well. Um, I know it's really hard because generally, you know, you have your, your set fields, you turn lambs out so you're close to the lambing shed or something like that. But um, yeah, trying to rotate those if you can, if you're seeing problems and things like that, then um, that's quite important as well for management side of things. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. More Valley Farmers is owned by farmers and proud to trade with a cooperative ethos. Our shareholders are at the heart of everything we do and we work with them to improve productivity, profitability and sustainability. Being a farmer shareholder brings many great benefits. You automatically earn loyalty points on essential farm inputs, including compound feeds, blends, minerals, fertilizer, and new for 2023, selected total crop performance products and milk replacers. The loyalty points bonus scheme earned farmer shareholders nearly 300,000 pounds in the last year, on top of over 740,000 pounds secured by farmer shareholders through our retail discounts. You'll also get other exclusive farmer shareholder offers through the year. The Mole Valley Farmers newsletter posted to your door each month and, as a shareholder, you get voting rights at the annual AGM and have a say in your business. We have a farmer shareholder first approach at Mole Valley Farmers and we believe by working together, we are stronger together. For more information and to join us as a farmer shareholder, visit moleonline.com slash farmer shareholder. Mole Valley Farmers committed to UK agriculture. And so, Steph, apart from nematodirus, what other worms might the lambs encounter? So there's quite a few other sort of strong aisles, um, round worms and their life cycles that occur sort of a bit later on in the grazing season. So 
generally with these ones, um, they're, they're sort of like on a three-week cycle, but that can really depend on climatic conditions. So in terms of uh, rainfall, humidity, um, hot weather, drought, that can really affect um, how quickly those sort of larvae hatch out on pasture. So the early, you know, the, if you've got the correct climatic conditions, so sort of warm, wet conditions, you know, those worms could cycle within sort of two, two and a half weeks, and you know, or if it's, you know, if you've got a bit more of a drought, then it'll be longer than three weeks. Um, and also interestingly, sort of between, within the grass um, environment itself, you have its own little microclimate. So um, further down the grass blade, you've got sort of potentially probably more worms that are sitting there. Um, where there's sort of better humidity. So if you're grazing really tight, you're probably going to be picking up more worms. Those lambs are going to be picking up more worms. Yeah, and other things as well are going to affect it, aren't they, Steph? Like, you know, how tightly your stocking density is. Um, herbal layers as well could help sort of reduce the, the amount of worms. Um, Co-grazing as well. So like horses, for example, they're going to hoover up the sheep worms and not really get affected and, and vice versa. And um, and also, you know, poo picking, if you've only got a permanent pasture, actually sort of trying to hoover up those as much of the feces as you can, can really help. Um, and, you know, like last year, in that summer of the drought, I know it was really bad for a lot of things, but actually we saw kind of um, a lower incident of worms because because the grass was kind of burnt off in a way. So that habitat where all those larvae were sitting was kind of gone. Um, but then we kind of saw, saw a shift in the risk, in the risk period because um, we had that warm, wet weather in the autumn time and it's almost like that summer risk period just kind of shifted to a bit later in the year and we're seeing worms, you know, generally when you stop you stop doing faecal egg counts, we're actually encouraging people to keep going with them sort of into the, almost into the winter months just because the risk was still there. So, yeah, it's very much dependent on the year, really, isn't it, as, as the weather gets a bit more bit more diverse, a bit more strange. I heard you say within that about herbal lays. Can that sort of, the change of what you're grazing can affect the, the worm count then? So herbal lays contain a mixture of different plant species. Most notably are the tannin-rich ones, such as birdfoot trefoil and chicory. So they basically disrupt the worm life cycle. However, the way in which this occurs and the mechanism behind it is still unknown. So more research is basically taking place in this area. Interestingly, chicory has been shown to decrease worm burden sheep by 40%. And plantain has also had shown some effects too, and obviously along with the bird's foot. So it's definitely worth considering herbal lays as part of your rotational grazing, especially from the summer that we've had last year. It might be worth uh, considering plantain in your um, incorporating this into your lay because it is quite a drought resilient plant. So because of its deep root tap, it will allow you to have sort of a much greener um pasture out there for the sheep and allow them to keep growing and it has quite good high protein content so definitely something worth considering excellent that's uh, another top bit of advice alice you mentioned that the risk period shifting this year but how do we know our animals have worms or they are at risk um yeah so i we try and encourage all of our clients to do fecal egg counts and um, that's where we're basically looking for worm eggs in the feces um and that just helps give us an indication of the worm burden within that animal um, and then if that gets above a certain threshold, then, you know, we kind of guide, use that as a guide as to whether to treat or not. Um, and that's all as part of the ploy to kind of reduce the amount of anthelmintics we're using um, to reduce anthelmintic resistance developing, basically. Um, and, yeah, we try to encourage our clients to do that frequently throughout the grazing period or the risk period, for example. Um, and that just involves, you know, them collecting fresh dung samples from their animals 
and then we'll kind of pull that and, and, and run the test on it. Um, but other things, you know, if you t to know if you've, your animals have got worms, um, look, looking for signs like we mentioned before, you know, scouring, uh, mucky back ends, uh, losing condition, not putting weight on as well as you, you think they should be. Um, you know, growth checks in lambs as well. You know, they're not they're not coming up to weight or they're they're not putting on that daily life daily live weight gain that we'd be expecting. Um, and also deaths as well. You know, sometimes it takes a couple of animals to die, and then you do a post mortem, and you you know you see a large amount of, of worms either done on a fecal egg count from on from the post mortem, or or you know we might see the worms in a case of homunculus or something like that. Um, so yeah, and some gut worms, you know, don't just cause scour; they they cause anemia. Um, so there's one called a homunculus or the barber's pole worm, and that one kind of sits in the upper mason, but but it kind of sucks the blood, kind of thing. So you know you're going to see anemia and, and weak animals um, and quite pale mucous membranes and things so yeah it's really important that you do get get hold of your vet for advice um because it might be that you know as, as obviously we've we've talked about the the treatment for the worms itself but obviously there's other treatments that they're going to need as well you know more supportive supportive care in the forms of, of fluid therapy as well because they're going to be really dehydrated um if they're losing all that excess fluid through through loose dung through scouring um so yeah definitely get hold of your vet as they might need to provide some some additional fluid therapy as well that you can sort of manage on farm. Mulcare Farm Vets are here to help their farming clients to thrive, become more resilient and to support their businesses to grow with the health and welfare of the animals at the core. Their dedicated team of experienced veterinary professionals work in collaboration with nutritionists, agronomists and registered animal medicine advisors and cover a wide area across Devon. If you'd like more information, then please call 01392 347 240. That's 01392 347 And as you've mentioned a few times throughout this uh, podcast already, it's being on it quick, isn't it? So um, if uh, lambs do have a high worm burden, um, can you just not buy one worm off the shelf that will just deal with it? That would be the delight, wouldn't it, for all farmers listening? Um, I'm guessing that's not possible. No, there's um, there's there's five different classes of of wormers. Um, so you've got sort of as mentioned, we've got the the white group. You've got uh, yellow, um, clear, orange, and purple. So your purple, which is a StarTech, that's a vet only product. But all the others, um, sort of discussion with either your vet or uh, SQP, you can sort of purchase them. But it's really important to make sure that we're not selecting for resistance so it's really you know i cannot highlight enough like how important it is to have that chat about you know what um what your worm egg count is what you've used in the past on your farm over the last few years what you've used in that grazing season to make sure you get that choice that you know like you've made that correct choice in what worm you're buying um especially of the you know there's increasing especially increasing resistance in the yellow and clear ones um and we only advise really to treat when necessary yeah, I mean, ideally we go off sort of, yeah, fecal egg counts as much as possible, don't we, Steph? And, and if people are ringing up with their result from that they've got somewhere else or something, then, you know, we we always ask the question of what they used last time so we can advise best on, on what to use this time and, you know, if it was effective or not. And we try to as well, where possible, we can do a fecal egg count reduction test. So that basically just che checks the um, efficacy of the, of the wormer itself. So, you know, take a sample... Um, and do a fecal egg count before you treat and then a certain amount of days after you treat just to make sure 
that it's actually having the the impact it's, it's meant to. Um, because obviously if there is resistance, we know actually there's no point in, in using this worm if it's not going to have the desired effect or we're just going to encourage more and more resistance if we keep using the same one over and over. And that's basically following like Scop's principles to help reduce that resistance being driven on farm. Um, so you always, like Alice said, want to make that treatment is um, fully effective. So you want to be dosing to, or you want to make sure that your gun's calibrated starts so that you know that each animal is receiving the correct dose you you want to be dosing to the heaviest animal yeah if you if you can weigh the animals then perfect but if not it's using you know an accurate as weight as possible and and dosing for the highest of those weights you know it's, it's better to slightly do it over than um you don't want to be underdosing any animals because that's just going to encourage resistance which is the the big thing that you know everyone's heard of antibiotic resistance um, and it's a similar kind of thing, but I get with anthelmintics against worms, and there's only a set amount of products. So we really want to, you know, make sure they work as well as they can for as, as long as possible. You mentioned antibiotics there. I guess there are some interesting parallels, aren't there, that you've got to use the right uh, wormer at the right time for the right particular type of worm. Yeah, definitely. You know, we need to be making sure we're matching the right product with the worm burden we're seeing present on farm um, just so we can treat in the most effective way really and reduce cost reduce these resistance pressures and also prevent any growth checks um, as quickly as possible but unfortunately you know we're well aware that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach at all and in fact the decision will end up being very farm specific um, particularly with regards to resistance pressures so for example you know one farm might see a lot of resistance to a yellow drench for example so that won't even be in their arsenal whereas the farm next door might not be seeing any resistance to the yellow drench. That might be one that they can use in rotation, you know, after discussion with their vets. Um, so, yeah, it's really important, I think, just to pick up the phone, have a chat with your vet um, so we can interpret previous results. If we've ever done some faecal account reduction tests or, you know, to test for resistance, then I think all of those will just help us build a much clearer picture of um, of what what that farm is dealing with and how they manage worms going forward, especially in a way where we can, you know, prevent using wormers as much as possible um, and also prevent building this resistance, particularly to products such as Zolvix, which, as we've mentioned, is a very good quarantine drench at the moment um, because there is not much resistance to it. But obviously, if we overuse it, then that will definitely change and we'll be in a bit of a sticky situation. So with this risk of resistance, do we need to be treating every sheep on the farm? Mainly in terms of sort of adult sheep, where you want to be leaving a portion of them untreated, which is sort of therefore allowing a refugia of worms so basically allowing some of the internal parasites to not be exposed to a wormer and therefore giving them refuge so by allowing some some of the sheep to not be wormed you're reducing the selection for worm resistance pressure caused by that anthelmintic so in terms of worming adult sheep that shouldn't really be necessary um if they're in good body condition so the advice is really you know um certainly around lambing time uh not necessarily all adults need to be wormed if they're in fit good body condition score then certainly single bearing sheep should definitely be left untreated um and probably twins also um and and by doing that mainly in terms of the adult sheep it is really looking at planning ahead and making sure they are in good body condition score because if they're in good body condition score they are going to cope fine with a little bit of a worm burden and that's and that's sort of regularly body condition scoring those use throughout the grazing season, planning ahead, planning your nutrition ahead and and making sure that they're in the correct body condition score for that breed during that during the year. Yeah, and, and as Steph said, you know, having these these sort of susceptible worms in refuge. So um 
you know, when a worm's sort of resistant to a particular type of worm, you know, that can be spread gen genetically, really, that information um, is going to be passed down. So then all those concurrent worms coming from those are, are going to be resistant and you end up breeding for resistance, really. So I think the more if you've got a, a better ratio of sort of susceptible, to, it's going to dilute those resistant worms on the pasture. And that's what we want, really. We don't want to clear out everything because otherwise all the only worms, you know, coming out the back end of the sheep are going to be resistant ones. And then if we just, then we'll just literally be hoovering up and killing off all the susceptible ones. And then every worm on the pasture that those sheep are then picking up are going to be resistant. And so you really want to sort of dilute those out with susceptible worms. And that's what kind of what Steph means really by, by the refugia. So it's those ones that are, have seeked refuge. So they've been out on the pasture before the sheep's come into contact with, um, with the anthelmintic because obviously the drugs we're using, the wormers, they're only going into the sheep. They're not going out on the pasture. So if they're if those sort of susceptible worms are are on the grassland or on the pasture, then they're kind of going to be safe from it because they're not going to come into contact with it until they're kind of in in the in the adult sheep in the where they're going to be wormed. So yeah, it's all about it's about about dilution really, isn't it, Steph? Just kind of yeah, definitely. And do you think that a good message to put out there is that even if a farmer has done it the same way? for the last few years, things change. As you've mentioned there, resistance to particular types of tablet is changing and you might not necessarily have all the information there as a farmer, whereas your vet should be across it, would know this kind of information. So it's definitely worth picking up the phone and having a conversation. Definitely. You know, there's um, there's new research being done. There's um, new data coming out. There's, you know, mentioned the orange worm that a lot of people are now familiar with Zolvix um, and they often use it now as a sort of a as a quarantine dose or a sort of as a late clear out dose um, and there is actually starting to become more slightly you know starting to resistance is starting to, to develop to Zolvix now as well so it is really important to maintain that um, conversation you know with your vet and 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 making sure also you know with quarantining new stock um, they're also a source of potential um resistant worms coming on your farm so it's just keeping up to date as to what the sort of like what we call like a gold standard and making sure we don't you know introduce um uh, resistance onto onto people's farms yeah definitely and i think quarantine quarantining animals can't be stressed enough really the importance of it i know sometimes it's it's hard to do and it requires a bit more a bit of space and things but actually it, it just really helps prevent protect the health of your your current flock um that you've been working on for, you know for years and things like that and with regards to worms, if you can, if when you do give them their quarantine drench, it's important that you keep them then on sort of some hard standing so you can clear out their their dung and um, and get rid of it so that that you kind of clear out their worms type thing. And then you want to put them on some dirty pasture so they, they kind of take on board the worms of your farm um, um, because then they should be taking on board the, you know, the, the not resistant worms. So you don't want to be turning them out onto pasture that uh, where they just pick up resistant worms. You want to turn them out onto sort of dirty pasture where you've got um what we call these refugia um so these worms that are that are susceptible to the to the product so we want them to clear out their worms they've come in with and then get get on board with everyone else really yeah definitely as alice said it's uh, ironically it's actually about protecting the worms that are on your from farm from incoming worms that you don't know could be carrying resistance because realistically you're never going to have absolutely clean pasture where there are no worms so you sort of have to farm almost with those worms and by doing so understanding that you sort of in a way need to 
protect them because you don't want to have these resistant worms coming on board and passing on their genetics into the worm population that you have on your farm. You want to be able to know on your farm what anthelmintics work on your farm and that's by doing sort of fecal account reduction tests as Alice said you know testing to see after you've wormed to see if you've got that reduction in that um, egg population and knowing which wormers are effective um, on your pastures on your ground. Yeah definitely and also whilst they're being quarantined today we can you can then pick up all their feet check for any cod or foot rot anything like that you might be bringing in and, and obviously your normal quarantine approach as well just making sure they're fit and healthy in those in that time that you've got time to um yeah, sort out the worm burden and, and check the overall health of the animal as well to protect your flock and, and them. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to hear more from the Mole Valley Farmers podcast, then please subscribe wherever you're listening today. And if you'd like to speak to the Mole Care Farm Vet team, then please call 01392 347 240. And I'll speak to you soon.